Blog Talk Radio. I have an emergency. What is your location? Welcome to Rescue Radio for tonight. And uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this awesome breakthrough, that you are God and that you rose from the dead. And we pray tonight that your will be done, O oh God, on earth and through us and through the show, that you bless our speaker, um, Doug Woodward, and that you bring forth a great anointing in the discussion of this material, Father God. We pray that we all speak of the oracles of God. We pray that no weapon formed against us will prosper and that no word said no deed done. No action taken by the enemy will be able to bring forth any shame, trouble, reproach, or delay. Father God, we ask you to think all of these things to be covered by the blood of Jesus. Amen. Hey, welcome, folks. Uh, this is Rusty Radio. I'm Margie and Jerry. And uh, hey, Doug, are you there? No, he's not there. Yet. Okay. Well, I can't believe, honey, what we've been going through in the last 15 minutes just to get on the Yeah, just some technical difficulties. The enemy doesn't like this show. But the Lord is prevailing. So, okay. so here we go. So, yeah, we're going to talk tonight with our guest as soon as we um, can get connected with him. So all of you could just hang tight. In the meantime, we'd like to give you a couple of um, a phone number to call. We're going to be talking tonight about uncommon sense. And we'll talk more with you about that in a minute. It has to do with the church, a prophetic uh, manifesto for the church in Babylon. That's Doug's new book. But for now, I'm going to give you a phone number, and just thinking, uh, in, in case you've got a question or you want to enter in, our number is 347 215 8051. That's 347 215 8051. And so um, we are going to be, you know, in these last days, honey, you know, we're talking about, uh, obviously, this week, Passover and the blood wounds and the tetras and um, love. This is Doug. Gee, Doug has arrived. Welcome. Obviously. Hey. Hey, we were just telling Great to be with you. I'm I'm having a very difficult time hearing you. You sound like you're in a cave. Uh-oh, we're in a cave. Well, I can hear you. Can we do something about that? We'll let you do all the talking. You sound great in our headphones. Well, as long as I sound clear and I can understand your questions, you know. Yeah. Or you yeah. can always well, send me questions over over text, and I can answer them. <laughs> yeah, we're just we're really piecing it together tonight here. I tell you. Well, listen, Doug. Why don't you start out by telling us a little bit about who you are? I know you're an author, and uh, you've got sure. a new book out. And um, just kind of give us a little uh, summary of who you are and what you do. Okay. Well, I would I would be I would love to do that. Thank you very much. All right, so, uh, yeah, I'm Doug Woodward. I've written, oh, a total of nine books now uh, over the past five years, so I've been busy. Um, and I, I speak frequently around the country, perhaps not as frequently as I'd like, but I do get to speak frequently around the country, uh, do some radio shows, talk uh, a lot about uh, what we in the biz call eschatology, study of last week. 
And um, and so I've been doing that, obviously, for I've been studying for many years, but about five, six years ago, I decided that it was time for me to start uh, employing my, my trade of writing, and uh, which I've done in the business community for many years. So um, anyway, so I've written a number of, of books, as I've said, uh, a lot of emphasis on the the really the kind of the intersection between history and theology, uh, yeah. particularly as it relates to the spiritual history of America, and have um, kind of specialized in dealing with the question of whether or not uh, America is actually mentioned and discussed in Bible prophecy. And uh, so I've written one book in particular, The Final Babylon, that uh, really uh, addresses that, and uh, wrote that, co-wrote that with uh, uh, my my friends Doug Krieger and Dean McGriff, and uh, that book continues to sell very very well. It uh, it sort of has a life of its own, and it's an area, as you would imagine, of, of great interest. And so, uh, uh, so yeah, so that's been kind of uh, that's kind of my story in a nutshell. Yeah, and, and you've got a new book out. Um, yeah, tell us about your new book. Now, this is intriguing. Uh, Uncommon Sense. I've said for years that common sense isn't very common anymore. That's uh, <laughs> right. And, and common sense, I think, has to be taught and caught. But your book is entitled Uncommon Sense, subtitled A Prophetic Manifesto for the Church in Babylon. Now, tell Can me, you elaborate? could you elaborate a bit on this on your title there? And happy to do that. Uh, Jerry, nice talking with you again. It's been too long. Um, the the title, of course, uh, harkens back to Thomas Paine, one of the founding fathers who wrote a pamphlet called Common Sense. And Common Sense really electrified the American Revolution. And it was um, truly a manifesto. And a manifesto is a uh, basically a public proclamation of uh, sort of our our principles, our agenda. It uh, usually deals with uh, where are we today, how did we get here, and what should we do about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are some several famous manifestos. Of course, the, there's the you know Karl Marx and and uh, uh, the Communist Manifesto. Uh, Adolf Hitler wrote Mein Kampf, which was mm-hmm. the Nazi manifesto. And uh, what I've attempted to do is write, in effect, the manifesto for that minority of uh, of evangelical Christians who believe in a literal, physical return of Jesus Christ, and specifically in, in our lifetimes. Mm-hmm. And, wow. Um, and so it's an area that has uh, has been sort of pushed aside by most uh, Bible-believing churches. It certainly is sort of, uh, as the, the word again in the, you know, the lingo of the theology, Theology scholars is demythologized. The whole issue of the second coming of Christ has been sort of demythologized, meaning that it's sort of just looked at as a, uh, you know, as the coming of the Holy Spirit or as uh, as the church's right. victory over the forces of evil in the world, but not a literal physical return of Jesus to right. this world. And so, uh, so it is. Uh, so uncommon sense is is saying that it's not any longer a common point of view that mm-hmm. Jesus is is returning. Yes, exactly. That's pretty pretty um 
apparent by the way people are choosing to live their lives and the way that uh, the governments of the world, global, economic, uh, new world order situations moving forward. But, you know, the, one of the very basic principles, isn't it, of our faith is coming uh, of the of the return of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God coming, as you've mentioned. Um, but if that's missing from our theology or it's, you know, I mean, it's really been replaced, downplayed by what I think you've also mentioned too are some of the things that the church is doing in terms of, uh, you know, just playing church, the pro, the uh, prosperity gospel um, and all those kinds of things, the uh, the uh, uh, self-improvement kind of things. What's going on with this removing of the kingdom of God now coming? Yeah. Uh, what do you see? Well, been reinterpreted um you know there are so many different aspects of of what's happening and what used to be lumped into this thing we call evangelicalism which really relates to the evangel or the the preaching of the gospel in an evangelistic way and um you've got the dominionism you've got the emergent Mm -hmm. church um you have uh certainly the as, as you referred to it margie sort of the health and wealth uh prosperity gospel you have a lot of different uh, points of emphasis within the uh, within American evangelicalism today. So much yep. so that, for the most part, um, these different points of, of emphasis have really become points of departure. And you've got yep. um, a, a lot of, in effect, I would say, apostasy um, points of view that no longer reflect accurately a biblical point of view. And uh, in an in an attempt to make it relevant, uh, we have tended to water down and dilute the uh, the authentic message of Jesus and the kingdom of God, which was, I think, an indispensable element in the uh, the preaching of the gospel. Certainly, of both John the Baptist as well as Jesus Christ, uh, when he opened his ministry uh, in uh, in the land of uh, of Israel. So, Doug. Uh, Talk to us about what you believe are some of the influences that have come from Babylon, as you have described it, the influence of Babylon. Maybe you could define a little bit about for some that may not be aware of. When you're talking about Babylon, as far as in speaking that in relation to the United States, kind of what that is, how you see that, and the influences of Babylon or what we would call secular society that have really influenced and watered down and uh, kind of uh, depowered the church in a lot of ways. Right, right. Well, let's sort of unpack that by beginning with the, the notion of what is Babylon. Um, you know, there is a, there's certainly, obviously there was an historical Babylon, uh, which is uh, about 50 miles from Baghdad today. Um, it's uh, It was sort of, uh, you know, it wasn't destroyed when the Medes and the Persians uh, took over, uh, came under the under the walls of Babylon. Uh, that was the night that the handwriting appeared on the wall, mm-hmm. and uh, Daniel told the governor that uh, his kingdom had been weighed in the balances and found belonging, and it would be divided between the Medes and the Persians. And so uh, Babylon fell uh, without firing a shot. Uh, you know, to use a uh, uh, an anachronism that's inappropriate, but it, uh, basically it was uh, taken over. Uh, but th- so there was a historical Babylon, and then over time it just sort of decayed, and the sands of the desert sort of overcame it, and uh, it had been conquered, of course, by Alexander the Great. He used it for a very, very short time as his capital. 
But um, throughout the Bible, Babylon has tended to become noted as the prevailing secular culture and government of the world. So in the Mm -hmm. time of Jesus, um, Babylon was uh, a synonym, sort of a uh, kind of a little cryptic synonym for Rome. Uh, so uh-huh. when uh, when Paul talks about uh, the church in Babylon salutes you, um, then you know we're talking about Rome. Um, okay. Likewise, Peter and so forth. So there's a a sense that the Bible uses Babylon as as the opposition of Jerusalem. Jerusalem mm-hmm. is the holy city. Babylon is the city of humankind. Abraham was looking for a greater city, a city from God. Uh, Babylon is, is sort of the, the city that man built. And uh, yeah. um, and so as you get into the book of Revelation, you run across this thing called Mystery Babylon. And mystery, the word uh-huh. mysterion in the Greek, is used frequently um, for different aspects of the presentation of the gospel. But Mystery Babylon is perhaps the greatest mystery of all the mysteries that are discussed in the New Testament. And mm-hmm. the real issue is who is Babylon, what is Babylon, and um, and for I, I guess you could say the prevailing view, certainly from the time of the Reformation forward, uh, is that Babylon um, really represents the Catholic Church, and so mm-hmm. the the idea of mystery Babylon being a uh, an institution that was drunk with the blood of the saints, that certainly was the view of John Calvin and Martin Luther. Uh, it was the view of John Wesley. It's certainly been the view of most Protestants in the United States during the 20th century. And, up until uh, now. Uh, up until, yeah, up until more recently. And mm-hmm. now the, the dispute is really, is Babylon, in fact, um, there really are three views today in terms of, of who is Babylon or what is Babylon. One view is that it is, is literally the old Babylon that will be rebuilt and it will become the capital of the Antichrist. That's one view. The the more common view is that Babylon really still refers to Rome. It will be both a political as well as the uh, the religious system of Rome, but a political system in the form of, uh, of a revived Roman Empire, the EU on steroids, um, but a combination of, of, of the political and religious structure. And a third view, which is the view I hold, is that Babylon is kind of multiple things. It is, uh, it is the world system that opposes the system of God or the the, uh, the kingdom of God. It is a country, which I believe is predominantly the. It's kind of the West uh, generally, but it's the United States specifically. And I actually believe that it can also be identified with uh, predominantly with New York City, but a combination of New York City and Washington D.C. And so mm-hmm. when we talk about, uh, or when John talks about in the apocalypse, Babylon has fallen, has fallen. Um, I believe it will ultimately refer to New York City, to Washington, and to the United States. The other phrase that's really an important phrase is the notion of the daughter of Babylon, which is used in Jeremiah 50, 51, Isaiah 47, uh, in the Psalms, in Zechariah 5. It's uh, It is a notion that I believe clearly is distinguished from the historical Babylon, and uh, I I believe that it is uh, it's clearly pointing to the United States, and uh, and Uh so that is that is the kind of the core idea of where I'm coming from when I talk about Babylon. So a manifesto for the church in Babylon is is really saying 
you know, this is kind of where we are, how we got here, what we should do uh, for those of us that are living in Babylon and are anticipating the soon return of Jesus Christ. And so that's the, the core of the idea uh, behind uncommon sense. Well, that's a lot. But, you know, you know, when you're talking about the devolution of evangelism as kind of one of the um, uh, writers had um, uh, inter- reviewed your book, I think, uh, the evangelism mm-hmm. into new mysticism. And I think it's interesting, promising divinity to the masses by elimination doctrinal distinctions and the promise of inclusiveness and tolerance. In other words, what I hear them saying, what you're saying is that we have, the gospel has been changed into an inclusive gospel where other, other elements are now being introduced that can cause man to, and, and do that outside of the, the context of the traditional gospel of Jesus Christ. Can you talk about that a little bit? I'm thinking yeah, in um, terms of like yeah. there, there are ancient astronaut theories and transhumanism, things like that. Um, All right. Well, there's so much, and it gets into really sort of the mystical spiritualism that is really part and parcel of American spirituality. And Mm -hmm. um, uh, certainly, uh, you know, if I just kind of jump on a couple of points, uh, one is that today's um, preaching by, you could call it the emergent church, um, but it's, you know, sort of the Rick Warrens, uh, the Joel Osteens, Mm -hmm. and others, um, you know, major emphasis upon the individual uh, fulfill, living a fulfilled life, a, a life full right. of meaning, um, and the the solution that's offered is, uh, you know, I could joke sort of the Ben Franklin solution, you know, early to bed, early to rise makes a makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. It's all about being healthy and wealthy more than wise. Yeah. Right. And um, but you know, if you go back uh, and you compare. The uh, you know the works of Warren or Brian McLaren or a number of the other uh, folks that are outspoken in the emerging church movement, you're going to mm-hmm. see a, a huge similarity to Norman Vincent Peale, Robert Schuller, um, and even a little further back to a guy named Ernst Holmes, who was an American sort of preacher, teacher, and, and primarily kind of an inspirational speaker. But he he was sort of all of these things rolled up into into one and. So there's kind of a uh, an American gospel that is predicated upon really focusing on the individual, and uh, and so that's one major thread. The, the second major thread really gets into the occult, and it uh-huh. gets into channeling, mediumship, the uh, the fact that America uh, 200 years ago very influenced by what was known as the transcendentalist Ralph Waldo Emerson, Emerson Henry David Thoreau. Um, Louisa May Alcott's father, uh, mm-hmm. the Alcotts. Um, transcendentalism about 80 years later led to theosophical, the, the theosophy, the, the works of Madame Blavatsky, Henry Steele, Olcott, and uh, sort of a remaking of Buddhism, transforming mm-hmm. it into an American philosophy that really blended together sort of the pantheism of Buddhism with individualism of Americans, modern scientific theory, a sense of, it's you know, we need to like through. Yeah, so... It's a melting pot of everything. Yeah, I just, yeah. it sounds like there's a, there's been a, a saturation, uh, a seeping in of all these influences from every direction. How is this coming? How is this coming to the church? Is it is it, is it coming through the... Teachers? Through or? the seminaries, through the pastors... 
uh, I mean, this is this is taking some time, but we're we're in we're in a bad way today because of these influences right. that a lot of people uh, have no clue of these influences. A person sitting yeah, in church on Sunday right. after Sunday has no clue of the if they're big biblically ignorant, and they have no clue of these things that have come in. How did these things just kind of all get in there? Is it just just slow saturation? Well, it's, it's a it, it's sort of a seepage problem. It's not a uh, you know a blowout of the tire. Right. It's been sort of a very right. slow leak for a couple hundred years. Um, yep. But you know you really get into uh, higher criticism of the Bible, the search for the right. historical Jesus. You know, and it, it kind of boils down to a scientific mentality that brushes aside spirituality as uh, as purely mythology, uh, as a bunch of hokum. And, uh, mm-hmm. it, uh, it, you know, it's become, uh, if you're an academic, it's very difficult to be an academic and to, and to believe in a biblical worldview. Um, and so over time, the, the culture of the West has, uh, has really drifted far from a biblical worldview. And uh, is we're essentially have been we've gone one of two ways we've either gone to kind of a pure naturalism, which is just sort of believing in natural causes and effects, which has obviously mm-hmm. it's affected seminaries, it's affected preachers, um, it's it's been ongoing as I said for really 200 years, um, and so you know the, the naturalist is the one way it's gone. The other way mm-hmm. it's gone is to an extreme supernaturalist, which mm-hmm. is really the occult spiritualism. I you know, a uh, a sense of mysticism in which it's not so much that I can make direct contact with God as much as it is I, I am becoming God. I am yeah. God myself, and I have these sort of hidden inner divine powers and capabilities that if I were just really in touch with myself, I could, uh, these you know, these, these powers would blossom. And, yeah. uh, and so, so it's kind of those two extremes that uh, you tend to find uh, the spirituality in the United States in evangelicalism influenced one way or the other. Certainly, like centering prayer, um, mm-hmm. a lot of, of more mystical kinds of, of, uh, of approaches to spirituality have mm-hmm. tended to replace a, a more biblical, doctrinal point of view, which has really been the backbone mm-hmm. of, of evangelical theology, really, since the Reformation forward. Yeah, I, it reminds me marvel that you are turning so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. And mm. um, then he also says, you know, it's a gospel that's to pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I think what we're getting is what you're saying. A lot of major, what about normal people in the church who just want to follow Jesus Christ and don't recognize mm-hmm. the, the, the legalism that's mixed in with the gospel, that's mixed in up with all the New Age? What would you suggest for them? How would they find their way? Well, it's you know I, I guess that you know that's a really difficult question. It's a it's a it's an important question. It's um, certainly part of uh, what I tried to do in, in writing this book was uh, to keep it under 200 pages uh, to sort of pull together some of the things that I I thought represented sort of some of my best work and and put it in a very accessible. Um, easy to read, but but very rich uh, book. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't think there's any short, uh, you know, a, a yeah, real shortcut. Is. I think you do have to study a bit. I think you do have to learn mm-hmm. a little bit. 
uh, it's otherwise you're so easily taken away from you know the true gospel, and um, uh, and I I think that for folks that are uh, you know hey I don't have time I don't have time to read all I have time to do is watch a TV show I don't have time mm-hmm. to study the Bible all I have time to do is sit for you know one hour in the pew three out of four Sundays a month and listen to the preacher talk to me for 25 minutes. You know, mm-hmm. if, if that's your attitude, then, you know, you're going to be deceived. You're going to be deceived mm-hmm. in, in 18 different directions. Yeah. And for a person that is not willing to study to show thyself approved, huh, which I believe was uh, Paul's mm-hmm. directive to Timothy or to Titus, I forget yeah. which. But, uh, you know, if you're not willing to, to spend a little time on what should be, perhaps the most important relationship in your life, which is your relationship with uh, with God through Jesus Christ, then, you know, you're going to be fooled. You're just set up for failure. And so I do think you have to, to uh, direct yourself to uh, to some effort to uh, to get clear yeah. on what's really going on. Yeah, well, what I'm, I'm hearing you say, and you haven't said this, but I'm kind of summarizing it in my mind, is number mm-hmm. one, people are too dependent on their leaders or preachers and believe and trust mm-hmm. that they're going to give them the correct gospel without looking mm-hmm. it up for themselves, without doing any due diligence to go back to the Word. That's because right. I think there's a lot of people feel, I, I can't do it, I don't get it, I don't understand it, I don't hear mm-hmm. the voice of God, I don't know the will of God, I need all this mm-hmm. other professional help. And the other thing is mm-hmm. what you touched on is the instant drive-through kind of gospel where you know right. people are just like, give it to me now, I want everything... And there's no investment in, in anything that's worth anything we put time right. into. So right, it's right. it's this kind of a mentality. And what it's doing is, I'm going to give you another scripture out of Jude, and let you comment mm-hmm. on that. Uh, Jude chapter well, chapter 1, verse 4. Right. For certain, <laughs> certain men crept, have crept in unnoticed who no longer have... Uh, who, I'm sorry, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lasciviousness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So the denial of grace, the denial of God, and these men creeping in. Can you talk to us about that a little bit? Yeah, well, certainly the, um, you know, what, what I think Jude was attempting to get at are some of the core issues that, that really affected the church in the first century but have affected the church ever since, which is to try to understand the core of the gospel and to make sure that when someone comes in with a, a teaching to try to clarify that they actually don't, that they really do clarify, they don't, instead of corrupting the truth. Mm-hmm. We, we certainly know that so much of the, of for instance, the work of John, both his gospel, his, his letters, uh, probably not Revelation, because he probably wrote Revelation before uh, mm-hmm. the gospels and his letters. At least I happen to believe that John wrote all of those. And um, uh, but he, the backdrop of the time was Gnosticism, and it was a, um, a sort of a Greek uh, philosophy of religion that was was very popular and had been in the world for, in some ways, two or three hundred years. The mystery religions of the Greeks, and they even harken back to perhaps thousands of years ago. And so, <clears throat> John was attempting to articulate the gospel in light of the error of Gnosticism. And so it's always, you know, the reality is that that the the corruption of the truth through apostasy, through Mm -hmm. uh, bad doctrine, is really what keeps us on our toes. Um, It is a means to clarify what we really mean, uh, what we are really attempting to say. 
And so mm-hmm. it's kind of like you know, the first um, uh, sentence, you know, in the Gospel of John, you know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's almost, um, if one understands what the context in which he was writing in terms of the the sort of concept of, of God through emanations or sort of different ways that God sort of presents himself uh, through space and through time. What John was attempting to say was, and actually said, I think very well, of course, was um, not only was the the Logos, the word, with God in the beginning, but he was God. And, mm-hmm. and that's a real different point of view than what the Gnostics were teaching. And the yeah. Gnostics believed that, uh, you know, that the Logos, had to be somewhat apart and distant from God because the material world matter was corrupted and therefore there had to be a separation or distinction from God and the creation. And this middleman known as the Demiurge had to come in between to actually handle and touch the uh, the material world. And so, you know, so the context of, of having to deal with false doctrine, it's, it's just always, uh, you know, mm-hmm. think about there was a Justin Martyr, uh, or Arrhenius, who I forget, who wrote um, Against Heresies. And it was a you know an enormous book, and that was you know early in the life of the church, yeah. in yeah. like the second century. And so you know that that <laughs> that heresies abound. But the truth is uh, is a very narrow way, as Jesus said. And uh, most everyone else takes takes the wide and the road to destruction instead of the very narrow path to salvation. Yeah, well, heresy has been with us uh, since Genesis chapter one. You know, half God <laughs> said, you know, and so, yep. so, and all through the history of Israel, and of course in the New Testament, it's just many of the epistles were written to just deal with these heresies, and and the verse just before the one Margie read there in Jude, uh, beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you that and exhort you that ye er, should earnestly contend for the faith which was once mm-hmm. uh delivered unto the saints. And so it seems mm-hmm. like we've had a you know a centuries long battle mm-hmm. dealing mm-hmm. with contending for the faith, the truth. Mm-hmm. And uh so yeah. what what would you suggest to uh, spiritual leaders who are you know are recognizing these things that are happening in the church, as far as contending for the faith, what is there? Is there? Uh, there's so much to deal with here, but is there like a uh, a plan of action that you would recommend to pastors? Well, certainly, or yeah. I, I think for for leaders, it, it certainly begins with <clears throat> your own relationship with um, the Lord itself. It begins with whether or not you are. Uh, seeking out God, and you are finding him in your prayer life, in your studies, in your Bible study, um, and in your community, in your relationships. Are you are you really hearing the voice of God? And if you're not hearing the voice of God, um, you know, you are in trouble. And if you're not able to discern the voice of God, you are in trouble. And yeah. your sheep are in trouble, too. Um, you know, so you can't... Uh, I'm trying to think of the right analogy that's used in the Bible. You know, you have to have a very clear trumpet if you're going to have a call to arms. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and so it's it's uh, it's it begins with the quality of of one's relationship. I think directly with Jesus Christ. In other words, Christians, we we are mystics. 
in the sense that we believe that we have a direct connection with God through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And by definition, that is what a mystic, a mystic is, is someone that believes there is a way to encounter God. And we believe that we can encounter God and encounter God, and we do through the Holy Spirit. And But we also believe that that encounter is governed and guided by the Word of God uh, in the revelation of the Bible. And uh, and also, and I think in the wisdom and the words of, of, uh, of, of very seasoned and wise individuals that, that have walked in concert with the Lord for many years, you know, there there is <clears throat> the word of God is the scripture. We believe that. We don't believe in, you know, the the Pope. If we're Protestants, we don't believe that the Pope is the uh, is in fact the Christ, the Vicar of Christ, mm-hmm. Christ on Earth. Um, we believe that the word of God is discerned through the Scripture and mm-hmm. uh, through the Holy Spirit and so forth. And so um, that that's how we encounter God, and that's how we know uh, whether or not <clears throat> we are encountering God. Is uh, you know the food in our lives and uh, and and the clarity of the the guidance that we are we're getting and how it resonates with uh, I think with the leadership that uh, that we're surrounded with I think accountability uh, to God accountability to the elders of the church um, depending upon your local sort of polity in terms of how your church is organized you know there's uh, all those are important factors in terms of trying to stay on the right path. Is that what you include in your manifesto? Are there some other points there that you're giving in your book as a manifesto to uh, believers in Babylon? You know, the, 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 uh, probably the, the, the most important aspects of what I'm uh, dealing with in the book really deal with um, kind of the, the analysis of, you know, where are we today and how did we get here? What, are, what is the history of the spiritual uh, sort of the spiritual history of America, the the political, the major political influences, geopolitical influences in the United States since certainly since the time of World War II. Um, it, dealing with you know other issues such as the the whole concept of uh, you know God as an ET, the, that's a major thrust of uh, of error that we're seeing in our day. And then moving from that really into uh, the issue of how do we as believers uh, empower, how are we empowered to uh, work together to stand opposed to the culture and, um, and, and really provide, I think, uh, you know, we talked about that those of us that are old enough that remember the 1960s, we kind of remember the, the phrase that was tossed about the counterculture. <laughs> and that was, of course, yeah. really the, the hippie movement and the drug movement. And, and anti-establishment, yeah. Yes, the anti-establishment, you know, it's kind of the anti-Nixon, you know, thing. Uh, mm-hmm. It was tied up in the Vietnam War and all that. But there there really is a genuine notion of a counterculture, which is that there is a culture of this world, uh, a secular culture, a naturalist culture, uh, a culture that really denies God, that, you know, it, it really uh, emphasizes the individual, the self, and a Christian counterculture is based upon the kingdom of God, and uh, certainly it's it's very well articulated by our Lord in terms of the of the beatitudes, the nature of, of how we are to behave and play our our um, our spirituality. You know, spirituality is not just an encounter, but it's also how we live out our life. 
and <clears throat> how we treat one another and the kinds of ways that we witness and display our beliefs. And, um, and so that's a, that's a vital element uh, mm-hmm. as well. Um, and, um, and so and then moving on, um, it really gets into community. Uh, I've had the, the, the pleasure to be a part of your community one Sunday, and that was exactly, boy, that was right on. That's, that's mm-hmm. the kind of community that folks need to be a part of. It doesn't have yeah. to be great big. In fact, sometimes great big is, is a real problem. But it needs to be worshipful. It needs to be dedicated to Jesus Christ, to be open to the Spirit, and uh, but it also needs to have the guidance of the Word. And uh, and so I think the, the issue of being in community, um, the what we call house churches, uh, the big churches, the mega churches, in my opinion, are really missing it. And yeah. uh, as we are going forward here in the 21st century, in many respects. Um, I think there is likely to be an increase in persecution. Uh, it's going to become very uncomfortable to be a Christian. I think mm-hmm. being in community with uh, other families, other believers that share our core belief set, um, that's going to be an essential element in our ability to stay grounded and to stay strong. Um, mm-hmm. I also believe that understanding the rewards that are set before us understanding the nature of what eternal life really is in a Christian context, being mm-hmm. able to persevere when times get tough, and I think they're going to get even tougher than they are now. Um, mm-hmm. These are all going to be vital elements in our ability to hang in there and to uh, continue to be faithful and, until the Lord comes. Yes, amen. This is what the Lord says, unless the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom he's chosen, he has shortened those days. And I think you're absolutely right about persecution. One of the things, um, you know, talking about knowing the true gospel of Jesus Christ, the, the principles of the kingdom, the simplicity of the gospel. Can you tell us how close you think we are? Are we in the last days? Are we heading on? I mean, obviously you're, you're preparing us for that. And, and, and with that, maybe can you bring in a little talk, a little thoughts about the blood moon? I mean, because I know you've written sure. on the blood moons as well. So, Right, right. Yeah, well, of course, that's, you know, that's sort of the the, the vital question that everyone, you know, usually that, that goes to a prophecy conference is they're sort, sort of looking for someone that, that can sort of finally, finally mm-hmm. has the key to unlock the mystery and say, oh, okay, well, the Lord is going to come on this particular date, this particular year, and, uh, and you can bank on it, and here's, you know, here's ten reasons why. Um, you know, the, the reality is that the Lord commanded us to always be watchful. Um, right. You know, Mark, uh, I think it's Mark 13, 48, yeah. Mark, Matthew mm-hmm. 24, 24. And what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. A lot of parables about watchfulness. Um, it was very clear that that the Lord intended uh, to be a, a major sort of element in our spirituality that we should always be expecting, we should not faint, not lose heart, always be expecting that he could return at any time. And um, I like the verse, I believe it's Romans thirteen eleven, um, where Paul basically says <clears throat> that um, the Lord has not yet appeared, but we know that our salvation is much closer today than when we first mm-hmm. started. And uh, so there's always that perspective that it it could happen very, very soon. Um, Now, having said that is, I think, a guiding principle and and essential to the 
nature of the kingdom of God. There, there are, and I believe it's appropriate for Christians that study the, the scriptures to be aware of the signs of the times. Uh, Jesus chided the Sadducees and the Pharisees because they weren't aware of the signs of, time, of the times. And he said, you know, how, how is it possible? You guys aren't meteorologists, yet you can tell what the weather is going to be like tomorrow. You look at that red sky at night and you say, oh, it's going to be, uh, going to be fine weather tomorrow. But how is it that you're not meteorologists and you can tell the weather, but you're theologians, but you can't read the signs of the times. And yeah, so it was like yeah, just amazing, right? And so um, the Lord is expecting that those of us that study the scripture should be aware of the principal signs of the times, the major, at least the major broad brushstrokes. You know, there's mm-hmm. a, a certain alignment of nations geopolitically. There's a, a certain type of apostasy that's coming, a certain uh, despot ruler, the Antichrist, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that will appear, that will lead, you know, will be her- heralded as a man of peace, but will lead astray uh, the entire world. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, there's probably a dozen or more things that I could say are sort of the broad brushstrokes of Scripture, uh, of, of, of eschatology that, you know, we are, you know, basically uh, – very poor students of the word. If we can't identify those sort of major issues that we should be looking, we should be looking for. Um, if you go past those and you begin to drill down though into other scriptures, the patterns of scripture, the the numbers of scripture, the the essentials of calendars of the Jewish calendar, the mm-hmm. the first coming of Christ and how it fulfilled various holidays uh, that were the great holy convocations that God set up. For the Jewish people, um, those same holy convocations—I should really say the fall convocations—are um, mm-hmm. the such as Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, uh, the Feast of the Tabernacles. All of these are are pictured in these holidays, and they are yet to be fulfilled. Um, mm-hmm. We believe they will be fulfilled in the second coming of Christ and in the ascent of the millennial kingdom. Uh, being that we are premillennialists, uh, you know, I, I assume you all are. I am believe in a Can you define that for people? Of, yeah, uh, it, the, the millennial reign of Christ is the belief that when Jesus physically returns to the earth, he will actually set up uh, his capital in Jerusalem, mm-hmm. and he will reign for a literal one thousand years <clears throat> in space time. The world now there are some that believe the world will be dramatically transformed before he actually begins that thousand years. There are others, the more traditional view is that the world will not be remade, refreshed, renewed, and the principle of sin and death fully removed from the creation until after that 1,000 years. So uh, the millennialists are those that believe there will be a literal 1,000-year reign of Christ. There are amillennialists, which don't believe that there will be a literal 1,000 years, there are um, post-millennialists, which usually believe that the church itself is destined to uh, to gain victory over the forces of evil, and that the millennium is really the time that we're living in now, and it will be concluded with uh, with sort of the church conquering all. It and, sure takes uh, a lot of faith to believe that. <laughs> it takes a lot of faith to believe that. So, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, so the premillennial view is is the dominant view in evangelicalism, and certainly the view that that uh, Hal Lindsey made popular in 1970 with the late great planet Earth. Uh, it's the view that's reflected by uh, most of the eschatologists at the like Dallas Seminary, Moody, uh, the the Moody School, and so forth. So it's it's been kind of the you know certainly the Southern Baptist 
the more conservative, um, oh, I'd say Assembly of God, would tend, tend to believe in that. You go into the Presbyterian Lutheran world and you tend to get into either a post-millennial or an all-millennial view. The Roman Catholic Church is very all-millennial. It believes the church you know, will conquer and that uh, we have no need for Christ to return because we have the Pope, but he is the vicar of Christ. Um, mm-hmm. He is the replacement for Christ, literally. It's just the Antichrist. <laughs> but the we won't really, go there. Yeah. We won't go there tonight. <laughs> yeah. We will go there tonight. No, <laughs> Jesus said that uh, his disciples are the salt of the earth. You know, that distinctive influence to preserve mm-hmm. and to flavor and so forth. Uh, what about the issues, Doug? Could you comment on you know, the issues of our day, I mean, I know there's there's the underlying spiritual one world, uh, new world order thing that mm-hmm. all the underground satanic, satanic stuff that's going on in our world, in our realm, right. in our universe, actually. But like the issues of abortion, the Islam movement, uh, uh, criminals in our government, that sort of thing. What what? Any suggestions that you have? I mean, we don't want to be barking up the wrong tree, uh, but <laughs> as as citizens on earth here, as kingdom people, do we focus mm-hmm. on simply preaching the gospel, getting to the root of the matter, or what, what's, to what extent are we to be involved in these other causes that, in a sense, are related to the kingdom of God, but, uh, you know, that uh, there are real things that affect people, that uh, need to be addressed. Uh, just comment right. on that. Well, the, certainly evil abounds in, in many different guises, and uh, and evil like the poor we have with us always, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Until the Lord yeah, returns and and, uh, and and basically begins to rule the nations with a rod of iron. So evil will continue to to be found in in you know sort of in all places. Um, certainly, you know the there are you know sort of a geopolitical and then what's also known as sort of exopolitical, which really gets into the whole issue of supernatural, you know, angels, powers, and principalities, and something that I know you two know something about because you deal (laughs) with people and and deliver them from these kinds of powers and principalities. And um, and so there's sort of the, you know, the the issues break down into geopolitics and exopolitics. And Mm -hmm. geopolitics, you know, you're dealing with things like Putin, uh, what's happening in the Ukraine, Crimea, uh, the Middle East, uh, Africa, you know, all of the, the misery that war causes and so forth. Uh, in exopolitics, you're really dealing with sort of the secret societies, uh, you know, sort of the inner drive towards one world government, which, you know, based on my studies is, you know, the, the new world order to many, to a large extent is really the is sort of the Anglo-American uh, agenda that uh, Vladimir Putin and uh, you know the president of China would really oppose. Um, yeah. The New World Order is really a Western idea, and it's it's really financed by Western bankers, predominantly the city of London and, and New York City. Um, but you know, so you're dealing with economic factors, you're dealing with power factors, you're dealing with the military-industrial complex. You have all these things. Now, to get down to, you know, how does the how does how does the gospel speak to this and what is the kingdom of God? I, I believe that you know that Jesus was teaching that that the the system, the world system of, of humankind in its rebellion against God is going to be turned upside down. 
that mm-hmm. the world is going to, there's going to be a, a colossal reversal of force of fortune. The meek shall inherit the earth. Um, the rich and powerful shall be, uh, you know, at the lowest place. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. So there's these concepts throughout the teaching of Jesus about this great reversal that's coming. <clears throat> and that's mm-hmm. the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is going to uh, upset the apple cart completely. And uh, it's going to uh, reshape geopolitics radically such that there will be one benevolent dictator who will rule with a rod of iron from Jerusalem. And mm-hmm. that is, you know, the kingdom of God in the future. Now, the, the real question, Jerry, you're, you know, I hear you asking, which is really the tough question, is in the world in which we live today, in which, um, you know, the kingdom of God how do we how do we realize or achieve uh, the kingdom of God in the as the theologians say in the here and now the hick and moot which is the, the the Latin how do you achieve it in the here and the now and and I think in part it it, it really is you know the, the evangelical answer tends to be a twofold answer one is that you got to get yourself right first you've yeah. got to invite Christ into your life you've got to be rebuilt on the inner the inner man or the inner woman first. You have to be transformed because in yourself you don't have the power to accomplish the kingdom of God. And um, and so the, the scripture, the New Testament, is very clear that we have to have an inner transformation that has to take place. Now, having said that, I am not one of those that believes that all we should do is, you know, sort of evangelism and let the, you know, as we sort of sometimes say a little vulgarly, you know, let the you know let the world go to hell in a handbasket. Um, I do think that that uh, that righteous people should shape the government of the world during this time in which we are waiting for Christ to come back. I I believe we are called to model the community, the kingdom of God, in the church, in our communities, in our society, to the extent that. The Lord empowers us, and we are dedicated and committed to do so. So mm-hmm. I, I believe that we should take action. We should be activists. But I think it begins with getting ourselves right first and then imploring our leaders to get themselves right first. You know, is it really about your political career or is it about serving the people? <laughs> are you really yeah. about trying to change the country? For the better, are you worried just about making the country, uh, you know, more Republican or more Democrat? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I mean, think that some, you know, yeah, yeah. Sometimes people are just. While you talk for a second. Okay, all right. I'll give you a break there. Um, sometimes I think people are really confused about how this might happen. And as you first said, it, it begins within us. The kingdom of God is within us. The Holy Spirit dwells within us, and through that. And as he is allowed to operate in and through our individual lives, he will direct our, our our external life, whether that might be, whether it's becoming politically active or attending to some other uh, needs of other people or whatever the kingdom of God would need have done. That's for the servants of the Most High God. And I think uh, people who are trying to save the world by redeeming um, you know, political systems or governments or you know, mindsets or it's not going to happen that way, really. Um, we are just simply, right. I say, to be a model, a carrier 
of the kingdom of God as through the Holy Spirit. So I really agree with what you're saying there. Um, but it can become kind of confusing if people are, you know, I, I hear some people saying, well, we've got to just repent. We've just got to get on our knees and repent. And that's the only thing that's going to save this nation. Um, what do you say about that? I mean, well, I, I agree I certainly, with Yeah. I mean, yeah, as far as that goes, yeah. there's, there's truth to that, right? Um, that it does begin with an inner transformation. And, you know, to some extent, we sort of saw that in the 911 event, you know, where for mm-hmm. what, about two weeks to two months? Yeah, that's about <laughs> it. Yeah. After, people after got converted. You know, people yeah. kind of got serious. You know, they kind of thought, well, wow, there are, you know, bigger issues than uh, than what we have tended to think about. And, you know, and it was sort of like, God bless America, let's get even, you know, <laughs> let's go bomb yeah, right. Iran yeah. or let's go bomb Afghanistan. And um, so it wasn't a real transformation. It wasn't a real repentance. Um, so I, you know, I, I think that it, that it does begin with that, but I do believe that um, that we are responsible to do what we can. If we If we really believe that we can transform the world, that we can really radically change the culture and the politics and we can create heaven on earth, you know, I think we're really misled. I don't think that that is going to be achievable. You know, the, the word that's usually used in, you know, political studies would be utopia. Um, yeah. For the most part, uh, utopians, whether you're talking about like Thomas More that uh, that worked for Henry VIII, or you're talking more about liberal theologians in, in today's dominionism, they, they have this sense that, that all we need to do is, you know, is that we need to get pure at heart, um, and if we do, then somehow we'll radically change the society, uh, you know, mm-hmm. that the Lord will bless us, will get us back on the right path and all that. I actually believe, and, and there are many other uh, colleagues of mine that think I'm probably being too harsh, but, but I actually believe it's too late for America. Uh-huh. I believe that we have for too long uh, put God in the eye that mm-hmm. what was once the golden cup, as it's described in Isaiah excuse me, in Jeremiah fifty fifty one and in Revelation uh, eighteen nineteen and so on. What was once a golden cup has become a cup of putridities. That mm-hmm. we are the world's leading manufacturer and user of military equipment, the leading uh, manufacturer and purveyor, distributor of pornography. Um whether you're talking about the financial corruption um, what the war, what our banking system through the IMF and the World Bank has done to put um, third world countries in debt to create you know just mountains of misery and so forth. You know some of the social issues that you talk about are even just the moral issues. It's really both. And the United States is is the principal engine behind um, these kinds of, of things that have been going on in the world especially yeah. since the 1950s. There really was a turning point, and, and uh, while well, I'm not a, a John F. Kennedy fan, I am to a point in the sense that it was about at the time of, of Kennedy's presidency that the United States went down the wrong path, and uh, and it has not gone back. Um, and that was really the, the sort of the creation and the sort of uh, institutionalization of the military-industrial complex. The, mm-hmm. the really the, the American banking system becoming the dominant banking system in the world. Um, the uh, you know sort of the the belief in naturalism, uh, American leadership, and science and education and all of these different things, all of which 
for the most part, have tended to do their best at eradicating God from yeah. our culture. And yeah, so I, um, I don't I don't believe that, you know, some, like our good brother Walid Shubat, would argue that Turkey or Saudi Arabia will be the, you know, the final power base of the Antichrist. Uh, Hal Lindsey, uh, Grant, the late Grant Jeffrey, many others believe that Europe, the revived Roman Empire, will be the power base of the Antichrist. Uh, mm-hmm. I believe, you know, it's like Pogo said, you know, we admit the enemy and the enemy is us. Um that the United States is the power base of the Antichrist, certainly the power base of the spirit of the Antichrist in our world today. And unless things decidedly change, um, mm-hmm. I do not see the Antichrist being a Turk or mm-hmm. a an Italian, um, probably not even, uh, you know, a future king of England, although some might assume so. Um, and, I, and so that's kind of where I'm coming from. Well, I, yeah, I think one of the things I agree, I, it's it's that's the tough question. It is it, you know, is it worth pouring your life into to try to turn it around or save it, or just you know begin to? I I believe the most important thing is to speak up for truth, and righteousness yeah. even among the brethren, uh, the believers mm-hmm. who are so floundering around, and they are the probably the force that's the most misguided in a lot of ways. Because at least the elite and the Illuminati and the Satanists, they know where they're going, they know who they're serving, and they're very right. loyal and dedicated. Whereas the church is floundering, and you know we just let a lot. We're silent, uh, silent majority. We, you know, we're afraid to pray in public. We're afraid to do this and that. And I'd say that's where we need to begin, as the Holy Spirit prompts you, um, not to to create deliberately for the purpose of creating havoc, but. As he prompts us, that's where we need to take that stand. So, Doug, we're going to take a few more minutes. Um, let me just kind of offer the people an opportunity to call us, uh, 347-215-8051. We want to go for just a few more minutes. So is there anything else that you can think of that we haven't really touched on or that's near to your heart? Maybe you want to tell us a little bit about, um, again, about your book, yeah. Uncommon Sense, and uh, where they can yeah. purchase it and things like that. Right, right. Well, real fast on that, um, you can find me, uh, S as in Stephen, S. Douglas Woodward, out on Amazon.com. So all my books are out there, and Kindle versions are out there. I have Apple versions or iBook versions as well, so you can purchase those through the Apple iBook uh, store. And so you can find, I have a website, which is uh, faithhappens.com, faith-happens.com. You can find uh, posts that I've made and a lot of information about me and my books and so forth there. So that's kind of how um, you can find out more about me. The, the subject that, that you asked about that I really have not talked about, which maybe is a good one to talk about, is the, is the phenomenon of the blood moon. Um, mm-hmm. And talk about that as it relates to uh, prophecy and specifically the, the kind of the big overarching question you asked, which is really, well, how close are we, and is this, you know, is this a cosmic sign that the Lord is about to to return? Um, and, and again, I I tend to be a bit more of a moderate, you know, kind of a middle of the road guy. Sometimes some of your listeners mm-hmm. might think that's crazy, but but um, I happen to know Mark Biltz, who is really the originator of the uh, the Blood Moon uh, discovery, mm-hmm. if you will. And um, and I don't know John Hagee, but those are the two names that are associated with the, the blood moon phenomenon. Uh, Bill's the authentic discoverer, Hagee, Hagee more of the popularizer because of his uh, 
relationship with uh, sort of secular publishing houses. But nevertheless, the the idea is that the the fourth of four blood moons will be coming up this fall. <coughs> I believe it's uh, either late September or early October 2015. Uh, another uh, significant author, uh, Jonathan Kahn, who wrote the book The Harbinger, um, he also has talked a lot about the the mystery of the Shemitah. The Shemitah is the mm-hmm. sort of seventh year of the sabbatical cycle, um, and um, there are, uh, as I said, seven years in a Shemitah, and then there are seven Shemitahs uh, plus a year of Jubilee in the 50-year Jubilee cycle, um, which, again, is uh, kind of the cornerstone of the, of the Hebrew calendar. Um, Jonathan Kahn has, has argued, as has John Hagee, that the Shemitah year culminates this fall in 2015 and that the world is going to dramatically change as a result of that. And um, they're sort of predicting, uh, Mark Biltz in particular is saying, well, based upon his point of view, the uh, tribulation is a seven-year period, which, by the way, is, is, a, is debatable, but it is a seven-year period. It will begin in a in a jubilee. Excuse me. It'll it'll begin at the uh, the end of the shemitah year and culminate in the shemitah year. The cycle is uh, you know the next one is 2015, which by the way could be debatable too, and uh, will culminate in 2022. So his argument is that Daniel's 70th week, which most evangelicals uh, believe is synonymous with a seven year tribulation period. And again, I I sort of challenge all those as as kind of sloppy um, scholarship, but nevertheless, that is the traditional view, and that it must must begin in 2015 or it can't begin at all until 2022. All right. So and then okay. so Duncan Kahn, you know, has argued that the Shemitah will happen. Uh, good brother Rick Wiles, you know, believes uh, and has has been very outspoken on his radio program that something dramatic is going to happen in 2015. So you've got a lot of, of sort of doomsday predictions uh, that we're only a few months away from. And so mm-hmm. um, I don't know how much time we have left, so I'm, I'm going to pause for a second. Have you well, why don't sort of you tell keep me. going? Keep right. going. Finish. Keep going. We got. Okay. Yeah, we got time. Yeah. We got a few minutes. Okay. Oh, so yeah. um, you've got a lot of, of different voices all kind of converging here and saying, you know. We really believe that something dramatic is going to happen, and, and you know, very possibly, you know, this this could be the beginning of the tribulation period. This could be when we first see signs of the Antichrist, perhaps the the treaty with death and hell that's talked about in the Old Testament, the, the covenant between uh, Antichrist, the when he steps up and confirms the covenant, then breaks the covenant in midweek. Um, you know, we may see all of this begin to come to pass. You know, within the next few months, it may begin then, and I'm very cautious about that. Of course, the blood moon itself is um, the significance of that is is that it. You know, we we talk about the blood moon. It's also called a a hunter's moon, but it has to do with the eclipse, the solar eclipse, and a rather and a, and then the uh, the Earth actually eclipsing the sun, so that the that the uh, sunshine doesn't really reflect on the moon directly. It's sort of an indirect causing uh, kind of an orange color. Mm-hmm. So it's a, the cosmic phenomenon that happens pretty frequently. But what's unusual is that it doesn't often happen 
on consecutive Passovers or consecutive uh, Feast of the right. Tabernacle. And that's what's happening in 2014-2015. It, it happened last in 1967. It happened before that in um, uh, 1492. And so you've got these different days, or actually 1948-49. So you've got these sort of red-letter dates in the history of Israel, and it, it suggested that, well, perhaps you know 2014-2015 is going to be the next really significant date, and the phenomenon doesn't happen again for a long time. Well, mm-hmm. I actually think it's about 23 or 24 years before it happens again. And so the question is, is this a cosmic sign? Is this a fulfillment of Revelation 6.12, of Joel 2, I believe it's verse 23. I have to go back and look, which talks about that the moon will turn to blood, the sun will be dark as a sackcloth of ashes and so forth. And, um, and so the question is, is that, is this really what the Bible is talking about? And... Um, and I, I'm very cautious about that. I, I tend to think that it's good to have the discussion. It's good for us to think about the and, and to and to talk to our culture about the coming apocalypse and the return of Jesus Christ and the coming kingdom of God. And are you is your heart right and all that? So I think it's a great occasion to talk about yeah. it. But I'm reluctant because to me, as I understand the these um, sort of massive cosmic events, the way they're going to unfold uh, in the scripture, they coincide with enormous catastrophes. You know, like uh, in in Revelation chapter 6, it says every mountain and island will be moved out of its place. Um, that, you know, the, the rich and the famous will go into caves and they will, you know, mm-hmm. hope and pray that the rocks will fall on them to hide them from the face of the Lord. Because the day of the Lord has finally come, and who is able to withstand it? And so, uh, you know, so there's such cataclysmic judgments upon the earth that coincide with the blood moons uh, that are, are the blood moon that's described in in the Bible. That I am very doubtful uh, that what's going to happen this fall is in fact the fulfillment of that. Now, having said that, if the Lord were to come back. Soon, and this fall were to kick off, uh, uh, you know, the events that lead up to the the final coming of Jesus Christ. Um, I'm certainly would be praying for strength to be able to endure, and and hoping that the rapture occurs, you know, any moment thereafter, <laughs> if not a moment before. But yeah. uh, but I would caution uh, everyone because the you know the history. I, I wrote a book called Decoding Doomsday, and talked about the history of Doomsday and. And, um, um, in fact, I'm writing an article right now talking about what occurred back in London in 1666, an auspicious year. Uh, Sir Isaac Newton was was uh, encouraged by all these events, the, the giant fire of London that destroyed a massive amount of the city, great comets that appeared in the heavens the year before, uh, mm-hmm. the bubonic plague, which killed over 100,000 uh, Englishmen at that time. You know, there were a lot of reasons to believe then that the apocalypse had come, and oh. uh, but it didn't, you know, including yeah. cosmic signs. So, um, you know, the Lord teaches us that we should always be watchful, and yeah. we should know the signs of the times. And we are in the last of the last days, but 2015 may not necessarily be the date, mm-hmm. and so I would be careful about that. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing I was thinking is, as you were speaking, and I've never thought of this before, 
is that these um, blood moons and the eclipses and whatnot are all mm-hmm. um, already des- designed in the and the constellations, yeah. and the, you can actually go to the computer programs and and yeah. figure it out ahead of time and stuff. But I'm wondering if the actual blood moons, the blood turning to, I'm the moon turning to blood, and the stars mm-hmm. falling out of the sky, is that maybe not even written or predictable or seen yet? If we as we right. project forward, it might be something right. that's a phenomenon as a result of earthquakes and shattering things yeah. and meteorites. It might it might yeah. shake everything to the point where the moon turns red and the Sun blackens mm-hmm. and whatnot. It's, it's not a typical eclipse or a blood, the typical right. blood moon at all. I don't know. I think you're exactly right. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. You know, the idea of how in the world, literally, could every mountain yeah. and island, you know, move out of their place? Well, if the concept of a, you know, what was talked about in the 2012 phenomenon about the crustal displacement, you know, if the Earth Earth's crust suddenly shifted. Uh, mm-hmm. over its mantle, and then literally every mountain and island right. could move out of their place. So, right. but that is, as you're pointing out, that's sort of a maybe a once in a in a Earth lifetime event, not yeah. necessarily something that happens every uh, every three or four years. <laughs> yeah. Yes, <laughs> so, exactly, yeah. and not something that's necessarily yeah. predicted. So, that's yeah, right. wow, Sorry. praise God. Well, Jerry, do you have anything else? You want well, to- I I would say, Doug, uh, you know. My theory, uh, my, uh, my modus mm-hmm. operandi, Doug, yeah, right, uh, in view of all these things, is mm-hmm. uh, that we need to, you know, keep really encouraged in the Lord. Uh, yes. Uh, when you see these things begin to come to pass, look up for your redemption draws nigh. It's not just a matter mm-hmm. of being able to get out of here, but just, just to be able to have, as you referred earlier, to have right. that intimacy, that heart right with Jesus, that relationship with Jesus. And to reach everyone we can with the mm-hmm. gospel of Jesus Christ mm-hmm. while we can. Yes, right. indeed. And to maintain Be that spirit of rejoicing. Yep. Go ahead. Yes, yep. absolutely. And and I would say maintain, you know, the community, uh, like the community that you all have there mm-hmm. uh, near Minneapolis. You know, that's a, that's really a part of the lifeblood of of, uh, of our faith, and yeah. it becomes even more important to us as we get into the darker and darker days ahead. Yes, right. and then these that that are being reached from out there in the world that have not, you know, known Christ, and as they come to know Christ, they really need that loving community, or that that teaching, Indeed. that fellowship, that encouragement, that uh, right. that that grace. So many times, those them. that need is turned into a cult. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. people be pulled into those kind of deceptive things. But as we truly walk in the Spirit, I believe people can see that the gospel of Jesus Christ can be lived. In, in truth, in spirit, and in truth, um, and yeah. in with the love. And, and that might be what we're going to get a chance to see more than anything else is uh, the Church of Jesus Christ, the, br- the bride, who I always uh, jokingly say, yeah, she's, she's, um, she's been thrown in the ditch, and she's messed up. <laughs> she's she needs to, yeah, she's all <laughs> messed up. But somehow she's going to be a bride without sp- spot or wrinkle, and so we have much to look forward right. to. So rejoicing is the key. So, um, yeah, this has been very great. I really love how you present things. You take so many complicated things and you kind of put them in a nice, neat perspective. And I really encourage people to get the book, Uncommon Sense, and other the other books that you've written, too, are just phenomenal. The Blood Moon book and Are We in the End Times? And, um, you know, uh, Jerry, what do you think? Well, yeah. Do you think I, they should get a book here? Or, you know? Well, I don't know. <laughs> Absolutely. I should send you the full set. 
Yeah, no, I, I got half your book sitting we, on the side of my we, bed. We've got I read a whole bunch night. of your books here already. We've got a whole section in our shelf of dedicated uh, Doug's, Doug's oh, books. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah but we, great. Haven't, well, we haven't gotten that. this one yet, no. but we want to get it. Mm-hmm. And we, uh, folks can get it through Amazon. Uh, again, it's yes. Uncommon Sense, a prophetic manifesto for the church in Babylon. And your your uh, is this, your email is faithhappens.com or your website? Yeah, you can you can send a, an email to me if you'd like it to, to Doug at faithhappens.com and don't forget the hyphen between faith and happens. Yeah. Oh, Doug at faithhappens.com. Yeah, there's a hyphen in there. <clears throat> Otherwise, you're going to go find out about this Christian film that was was done a number of years ago that that didn't really do too well. So, oh, uh, was that you too? No, okay. <laughs> no, that wasn't me. Not making that wasn't you. That was somebody else. No, so, you. Yeah. Uh, faith. So they, Hyphen happens dot com. Exactly, you got it. Doug yeah. Woodward. And uh, yeah, well, I have a question. Have One a, more question. Yeah, go ahead. I have a question, but finish what you're going to say, and then I'll ask my question. Oh, I was just going to say, and, and it's on iBooks, and it's on Lulu, and uh, so you can get electronic copies, or you can get a printed copy, or if you find the S. Douglas Woodward store, you can buy it from me directly, and I'll even sign it for you and mail it to you. Go ahead. From me. That would be something that, so cool. That would, that's S. Douglas Woodward store at Amazon, by the way. We, uh, we yeah. always oh, at Amazon. That. Okay. Yes. Well, my my yeah. question, kind of a wrap up question. What adventures yeah. are you going? To, are you on now or next? After you've now just mm. finished this book, what's the new adventure? Well, the I'm I'm working on two or three different things. I'm I'm really wanting to do you know sort of uh, the thought is coalescing that I need to sort of size up the issues that are going on in, in kind of the eschatology community. There are a lot of issues that make me uncomfortable, and mm-hmm. and I feel like I need to kind of speak what I'm sensing. And mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> one of them is this issue of the blood moons. So mm-hmm. I'm planning to write – I write articles for L.A. Marzulli um, oh, yeah. and his, uh, his magazine. I'm, I'm working on an article right now that, that I'm entitling Blood Moon Madness. And uh, it may be it may come across a little too critical, uh, but um, but I, I uh, you know I think I'm I'm going to go ahead and and just say it because I'm I'm very worried that you know we may come up to about October fifteenth mm-hmm. of next year and we're going to say well I thought Jesus was going to come by now and mm-hmm. uh, you know I don't want people to be discouraged or lose heart. Exactly, exactly. Well, well, you are busy contending for the faith once delivered to the saints, and we. We applaud your efforts. Yes. We appreciate your diligence, and uh, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, come on Rescue Radio today. Yes, oh, I, we appreciate, I really it. appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, I know that you, you were just you teaching tonight, and you were driving in your car, and we're racing here to get this thing set up. Sorry for you folks who joined us a little uh, early and found that we weren't there yet, so we apologize. That was a little bit of a, uh, we had to fight through the technicalities there, but um, thank you, you so much, Doug. Yeah, yeah. But Thank you again. You all are. I started to say you all are such an encouragement to me, and uh, and I really hope the Lord will bring us uh, into one another's presence before too yeah. long because I enjoy yeah. our time when we get together. Yeah, uh, we should just make that happen. You know, that would be Let's wonderful. Do. Say, Let's would do. it be okay if we just have uh, just a brief prayer. word of prayer here yeah. for you before I would, you? Yeah. I would really appreciate that very much. Okay, Thanks. Lord, thank you for Doug. Thank you for the expertise and the anointing that you've given him to right on these very uh, difficult topics in many ways, but you've given him wisdom and grace 
and in precision in in thinking and in the anointing to uh, reveal these things, to uncover these things, to clarify these things, uh, to send this wake-up call to yeah, us and uh, the Church in America. So we pray for the prosperity and the great sales of the, the new book, Uncommon Sense. Uh, keep him, his uh, family, uh, encourage him, strengthen him, Father, with good health. And uh, in these articles and the things in the days to come, give him your continued wisdom and grace, we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. And I Amen. pray, too, for Amen. awesome open doors for you, new doors Thank and places you. to speak and preach and teach and share and favor upon you and, and favor of the Thank favor you. of the Lord in every way. So thank you I again. Those very good uh, words. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Open doors well, in favor. Well, let's talk again soon, and, and the Lord bless yeah. you both and your ministry. All right. And, yeah, you stay uh, out of trouble and, now. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, you too. Okay, bye-bye. <laughs> okay, okay, God bye-bye. bless you. Thank good night. Thank you, Doug.